Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mitten Politics. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about community organizing and local politics. And I'll, I'll be talking with Tom Regan, who's the current chair of the Greater Royal Oak Democratic Club. I've known Tom since I've gotten involved in the club, which has already been over a year, which is kind of crazy to think about. He has a lot of experience starting as a community organizer and, uh, you know, all the way up until recently, you know, he was there with me at the Black Lives Matter protests in Royal Oak, has been a very vocal advocate for everything progressive um, and uh, has a lot of insight that I'm hoping you'll all glean something from. Whether you're living in the Royal Oak area or in Michigan or across the country, I think a lot of what he has to say uh, kind of goes far beyond my specific local community. Um, one thing that I think is really cool is in the backdrop of all of, of what we're about to talk about today, there was actually a New York Times article released this week that talked specifically about Oakland County and the shifting demographics the shifting political landscape, the newly elected officials and what they're going to be able to do. And I was just really proud to be able to see that given that Oakland County, where I live in Michigan, which is one of the richest and most populous counties, um, definitely one of the most populous in the state of Michigan and one of the richest counties in the United States, has actually undergone a dramatic shift from a all Republican, all conservative majority for the last almost 30 years to now being more almost solidly democratic when you think about the votes that were cast in 2016 up through 2018. And then hopefully we're poised to be even more blue this time around. So it's been making me really proud. Check it out, New York Times article about Oakland County politics. Um, so let me go ahead and just dive into the interview here. All right, today I have Tom Regan with me. He is the current chair of the Greater Royal Oak Democratic Club. Hi, Tom. Glad to have you with us today. Hi, Ian. Thank you. Yeah, um, so I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit uh, about local politics with you here today. So um, kind of getting us started, uh, I know you've been involved with uh, the Royal Oak Democratic Club for quite a while. Um, could you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got involved and, and how long you've been involved, that kind of process? Yeah, I started attending the meetings. It was back in the late 90s. I remember the First meeting I went to, they had uh, Jennifer Granholm there. That's before, that's when she was just running for in the Democratic primary for governor. And I wanted to go and hear her. And um, Gary Peters was running for governor too. He was actually my favorite at the time because he favored increasing the minimum wage. He campaigned on it. Uh, yeah, that, that does, I started attending club meetings then and, and, and gradually got more involved and uh, yeah, eventually wound up becoming the chair. Very cool. Have you been living in Royal Oak for most of your life or did you move out this way um, around the time you joined the club? Well, I actually grew up in St. Louis and uh, I moved up here to Detroit back in the 80s. Uh, I, I ran a community group called Acorn. I was the head organizer for the Detroit office and I, I met my wife. I actually hired my wife and uh, we she's from Downriver. Then we, we moved away for a few, few years and then we moved back up here in, uh, in 1997. 
That's really awesome. I didn't know that. Um, I knew that you were a community organizer, but I didn't know kind of how that manifested. Um, I, I personally have heard the word community organizer thrown around a lot. Um, I know Barack Obama talks about having been a grassroots organizer and things like that, but I'm not entirely sure what all that entails. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about kind of what does it mean to be a community organizer? Yeah, it, it means a lot of different things. Now, the, the organization I worked for was called ACORN, uh, Association of Community Organizations for Reform. Now, they were a nationwide uh, community organization. Uh, most of our members and most of our activity was in, in low-income black neighborhoods. And uh, it, like as, as an organizer, a big part of my job was just going door to door. Uh, interviewing people about the, the neighborhood and what kind of problems they were having and, and so on and uh, encouraging people to, you know, join together and take some kind of, uh, you know, concerted action to get, to get the problem solved. So as a community organizer, I'd knock door to door, I'd research who the people in power were that we needed to lean on to, to get the problems addressed. And, and we just worked on a whole host of different problems. Um, all the neighborhood problems that you, you might assume in a in a low-income neighborhood, uh, you know, problems with some crime, drug dealing, uh, deteriorating uh, physical infrastructure like streets and sewers and streetlights and such that city doesn't pay any attention to because it's a low-income neighborhood and who cares about the people that live there, which is which is the attitude too often. Gotcha. So um, were you were you organizing people to get the city to invest uh, kind of more time and resources into? sort of revitalizing and maintaining the neighborhood is that kind of what that turned into then oh yeah that that was that was a very typical acorn action was to get a bunch of neighbors together and maybe go down to city hall and uh protest at the dpw office or at the police station or you know whatever uh public agency wasn't doing their job in this neighborhood a lot of times our our primary tactic was just to get a bunch of people together and just raise hell and um force the city to start paying attention to problems that they've been ignoring. Yeah, um, like I remember one time in Detroit, there was a house, a vacant house that neighbors had been trying to get something done about for years, you know, and of course the city, ah, go to hell. Well, eventually a, a child got raped in there and murdered. And, you know, then it, then it became a big deal, you know, and we, we were down picketing city hall. We renamed the house, the Coleman, Coleman Young was the mayor. Then we renamed the house, the Coleman Young house of rape and so on, you know, we, and just, you know, anything to, that would force, you know, embarrass the city into doing the things it already should have been doing. But I, I worked both in Detroit and St. Louis doing that. It, it, it was fulfilling work. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, it's, I think that's really important work. And we're seeing um, some of that kind of on a, on a slightly different scale. It's not as much neighborhood specific, but now with the Black Lives Matter movements and uh, people recognizing the uh, significance of police brutality, how widespread it is, how racist it is. And there's a lot that people just don't realize, especially people that aren't from that neighborhood. And if nobody ever stands up for it, then it just kind of continues to get worse. Um, yeah, so I, I have to mention, and as a community organizer, now I did come across people who complained about police brutality. And I actually, I organized several demonstrations against, you know, police indifference and police brutality. But by far, the more frequent complaint, much more often than police brutality, the complaint about the police is, we have a problem, we call them up, and they never come. Or they come, and they don't address the problem. I mean, that's that's as big or bigger a problem than as police brutality. There is a huge, huge issue with policing in this country. It's really 
really bad. And it's especially bad in, in low-income black neighborhoods. And it, it's something that desperately needs to be addressed, both the brutality and the plain old not showing up and solving problems that people need solved. And, you know, part of the problem is that we send, you know, when you, when you call the police, you send a guy who's been trained, you know, with a gun to do things with force. And a lot of times that's not what you need there. You need someone who can solve problems. And, you know, we need to rethink policing from the word go, and especially in, in low income neighborhoods where, police are desperately need, you know, where some kind of, you know, institutional peacemaking and uh, problem solving is desperately needed and it needs to be done either by the police or some other agency. But, uh, you know, when I hear these cries to defund the police, and I, I certainly understand where it's coming from, you know, why are we paying for these people who brutalize us? You know, it's perfectly legitimate opinion, but you can't ignore the fact that these neighborhoods need help. And we can't just say, oh, let's defund the police and shut them down and let these people uh, shift as, as well as they can, you know, in, in the country and the economy we have, that is simply not going to work. Yeah. And and I, I think from, from everyone I've heard that's really been adamant about defunding the police, it's more about defunding the police as we know it, so that instead of an armed squadron that comes in to enact punishment to dissuade uh, things from happening that that the community may not want um, instead of being you know armed and coming in there with a show of force every time maybe having more of a diversity of emergency response so that like you said you can have people that come in who are social workers you can have people who can come in who are emt you can have people who are prepared and willing and able to deal and trained to deal with these different situations instead of just showing up with a gun and trying to force things to go a certain way. And so I, I, I definitely understand that distinction um, when on, on face value, the idea of defund the police means let's just pull the money out from underneath and see what happens. But I don't think that anyone I know that's advocating that is really looking for anarchy and absolutely these low-income neighborhoods need that that support need people to show up when there's an emergency when they call need people to show up when there are violent crimes being committed that type of stuff all needs needs to be responded to as equally as in you know a neighborhood like royal oak where we we very rarely encounter actual violent crime in the city so thank you so much for sharing that experience and that and I, I, I had some interesting work in uh, Jennings, Missouri, which is a suburb right next door to Ferguson. And you might remember Ferguson blew up a few years ago when a young man was yeah. murdered by a police officer. I worked in Jennings back in the 90s, and the, the exact same issues that they had in Ferguson before where the police were almost like a, an occupying army and where they, you know, the, the population was seen as a source of cash to support the police department, you know, where they just... Uh, ticketed and fined and harassed residents of the city. And it was a horrible place to live, especially if you were a young black male. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't minimize what, you know, any anything that these, uh, all the Black Lives Matter protesters are protesting about. They're absolutely right. We need to change that. But it's it's an even bigger issue, an even bigger problem than, than, than how they're portraying it. It needs to be rethought from top to bottom. And then even the just the sheer amount of military equipment that as new new upgraded military equipment is bought and old equipment is then handed down to police departments reinforces this idea that we're an army and we march in with violent tactics to take control 
Um, but then, you know, and obviously that's in certain areas, like we're seeing breaking out in, in Portland and in, um, in Minneapolis and, and really all over. Um, but like you said, at the same time, there's also areas that are under police that are, are not receiving any support. And so, yeah, it, it, it is kind of a big issue. And I, I like the idea of rethinking the entire system because that's really what needs to happen. We can't continue on the way things are. Yeah, the militarized police, is, it's an obscenity going in with flashbangs and rubber bullets into peaceful protest and tear gas grenades. And yeah, it's sort of like, you know, a lot of people on the right talk about the frog. You throw a frog in water and you bring it to boil and it never knows enough to jump out because it happens so slow. But I, I think that's actually happened with the, the path that policing has taken in this country. It, it's just become uh, brutal and uh, militaristic and it, it definitely way past time for a correction. Sure. Absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit um, and focusing a little bit kind of on local local politics specifically, um, can what I guess I, I didn't really get involved in local politics until I moved to Royal Oak. Um, and I've sort of started to, to realize the real importance and influence that local politicians and local elected officials have. But in your opinion, what what are some of the most important things um, or reasons, I guess, to get involved with local politics? Why do they matter? Well, I'd, I'd put them in two buckets, really. There's the school district, the public schools, and then there's the city commission, which runs all the city agencies. And uh, school board's important. I mean, they make one really big decision as they decide who the superintendent is going to be and how much that superintendent's going to get paid. After that, the superintendent and staff, you know, of course, they have to run the schools on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's important that you have, you know, competent and sensible people in those positions. When you get, you know, ignorant and irrational people in those positions, you, they can cause a lot of damage. So school board, it's almost like damage control versus finding real leaders. We had that in Royal Oak back around the uh, turn of the century with um, Frank Tyndall and Deb Wright on the school board. You know, both of them had zero interest in public schools. They were mostly uh, interested in, in destroying public schools. They were allied with people who wanted to shut down the public school system and replace it with vouchers. And they, they behaved accordingly. And of course, it was a huge news story, you know, as a sort of a man bites dog story. Oh, school board trustees hate public schools, you know, so they were in the newspapers all the time. And I, I know I, a lot of members of the Democratic Club were involved. We worked for years to get those two people off the school board to pass an operating millage and a physical plant millage so that we could get some of the aging buildings rebuilt. And then they get some decent people elected to the school board. And that took years to fix that problem. And I think that the real lesson there is make sure you don't let, you know, ignorant people who are enemies of public education get elected to a school board. You, you just have endless problems, you know. So I think we're in good shape now. We've, we've got a, a good school board in Royal Oak and the people running, they're all supporters of public education. And I know that they have their differences, but, you know, at the end of the day, to use the cliche, uh, they, they all support public education. So I, I think we're going to be in good shape in Royal Oak for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's, I think that that's, that's really important. Uh, somehow we ended up with an education secretary at the federal level who despises everything to do with, um, with public education and is doing everything possible to undermine it at, you know, the, the K through 12 level and the college level. Um, 
And so I, I, I think if you can have people, I agree that if you can have people at the local level that have a, a passion and a compassion for uh, K through 12 education and supporting the students, that really can have a powerful impact in terms of the experience that students have. And it, you know, especially if they're willing to listen. Like right now, I know a lot of school districts are having conversations about racial inequality and disproportionate levels of punishment for students of color, um, lack of, of effort to make diversity more of an inclusive experience rather than just a check the box experience. So having people who are willing to listen to those conversations and try to make changes and you know fight for it, I think you're right. Those are, those are some important things, at least as I've come to know about uh, the school board. You know, I'm especially looking forward to seeing Lakeisha Morrison elected to the school board. She organized a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. She's just uh, one of those people with that rare combination of passion and uh, competence and intelligence. You know, and she'll and she you know she knows what she wants. She knows how to ask for it, and she's willing to to raise hell. You know, she's not going to be, uh, you know, ignored or or put down. So I, I'm 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 confident that people like her on the school board, they'll be addressing issues like that and, and doing what has to be done. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for her as well. I've, every time that I've interacted with her, uh, spoken with her or heard her speak, she's been very, a very powerful and moving voice um, in being able to articulate the issues and, and what needs to be done. Um, and, you know, working with Rampa to, to really make some difference here at the, the Royal Oak School Board level. But I, I imagine she's not alone if you look statewide at school districts all over Michigan. Uh, I think people would do well to educate themselves and, and really know who they're voting for for these school board positions for that reason yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned uh, also the city commission. Uh, what, what kinds of things does the city commission get involved with typically? Um, what types of decisions do they make? And it's it's a similar setup. You know, Royal Oak, we have, they call it the weak mayor system. And, and um, that doesn't mean we have a weak mayor. You know, Mike Fournier is an excellent mayor. But the weak mayor system means that the mayor doesn't sit in the city hall full time and run the city. You know, like in some big cities with the strong mayor system, the, the mayor does run the city. This literally is the chief administrator. But uh, in Royal Oak, it's run by a city manager and, and staff. And so, the, I mean, the main job of the city commission and you know their biggest job their most important job is either choosing a good city manager or you know making sure the city manager is competent and running things properly so that's that's the big task right there and again if you get someone on the city commission who is uh, insincere isn't interested in public service but they're instead interested in uh you know fighting phony battles or doing a lot of the other things that these local versions of Donald Trump do, uh, that they can cause a, a lot of trouble and they can uh, make it very difficult to do things like past millages to, to do necessary, you know, investment in public infrastructure. And uh, yeah, so it, it is important that you have decent, honorable people in those positions. Um, and then of course, the other thing the city commission does they are the sovereign power i mean the city manager reports to them and they they mostly confine themselves to issues of matters of policy so for example is royal oak going to be a city that champions uh taking steps to lower our energy use and, and uh 
you know, carbon pollution so that we can contribute our fair share to fighting global warming. Well, you know, if the city commission is constituted with people who believe that's an important issue, then we will. If, if not, then we won't, you know. Um, is Royal Oak going to make sure that the uh, policing isn't done in a racist manner? That's something where the city commission can have a, an enormous influence. You know, they can make sure that the city manager and the police chief know that if the police officers engage in any racist practices, that there's going to be hell to pay. You know, those are the kind of areas where a, where a city commission can really make an enormous difference. So, it, you know, it's really important to have, you know, honorable, competent people in those positions and knowledgeable people in those positions yeah, and people so, who share our values, you know. So would they be involved in things like when you talk about policing, would they be involved in decisions like requiring body cams and things like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and Royal Oak, they're actually involved in that right now. When, I believe they're going to be getting body camps pretty soon if they haven't already got them. Yeah, I believe I read something about that. I wasn't sure if that was city commission approved, but that's yeah. good to know. And then I also know that they've done things like vote to ban conversion therapy in the city of Royal Oak. They've done things like um, approving different things to do with the downtown business development, um, zoning for marijuana businesses, bike lane expansion, and that type of stuff. Um, so I, I've, I'm I've heard of some of the important decisions that they make, but I don't think people always realize that the city commission is making lots of those different types of community specific decisions. And so you can vote for who you, you value at the state, the state level and at the federal level, but the president is never going to decide what your roads look like in, you know, whether or not you have access to certain amenities and resources and whether you're, district is desirable for businesses and things like that. And, and, and in addition to the issues you mentioned, another huge area where the city commission makes a difference is making sure that whenever the city spends money, that it, it's uh, employing union labor. You know, it's, it's really easy mm -hmm. for cities to participate in this race to the bottom on wages and benefits. But when you have a city commission that understands the value that unions play, they can make sure that when, you know, the city spends millions of dollars a year, making sure that's spent using union labor when we have to hire contractors and making sure that public employees in Royal Oak have the right to join a union and, and bargain collectively. That, that's a huge issue that city commissions have an enormous influence over. Wow, I, I'd never really realized that in terms of, I, I was aware that they would have final say in terms of who to hire for projects and things, but I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that for, for um, at the public employees as well in the area. And you might remember just that uh, the downtown development with the, you know, the Civic Center development downtown, that's being done with union labor and that's because a majority of our city commission you know, they, they, they share that value with Democratic Club that, you know, we should support unions. They're a positive good. And when our tax dollars are being spent, we want that money going into the pockets of, of union workers. Yeah, I, I, that actually gives me an idea. I'd love to do an episode on just unions in general, because I think a lot of people, especially a lot of young people that have never had an opportunity to be a part of one, I think uh, there's a lot of, of limited knowledge is pretty limited when it comes to what unions do and what they really can do. Um, and so I'd love to do an episode on that at some point as well. Um, now, we've talked about school board and city commission. Um, but I think I would include county commission as well as part of a, a local elected official. What 
what significance does the county commission have if the city commission is making lots of these kind of direct community decisions? What is the county commission doing on top of that? Yeah, I think the the biggest influence that county commission has had, and it's been a, a malign influence under Brooks Patterson, is in encouraging urban sprawl. You know, the Detroit area is just a darn mess. You know, there's there's no decent transit system the sprawl just keeps spreading out in northern and uh, western Oakland County. And meanwhile, the older parts of the county that are more densely populated can't get enough money to maintain the infrastructure. And that, that's been after decades of Brooks Patterson's uh, leadership of the, of the Oakland County and him having a majority of the county commission. Now we, we've seen a sea change in that over the past couple of years. And that's been largely the work of Royal Oaks County Commissioner Dave Woodward. You know, the, I mean, he, he didn't do it by himself, obviously, but he organized it. He, he was the impetus behind that change. And not only did he win a majority of the county commission Democrat, he also made sure that we have a, you know, he, he took the actions that it took to get Dave Coulter in as, as, the, as a county executive. And now we're, we're going to see an enormous change. We've already seen a lot of big changes since they've been in there, especially in areas like healthcare or in um, areas like uh, making sure that children have access to clean water in schools. You know, a lot of these issues that the Republicans couldn't give two hoots about, you know, now these are going to be priority issues. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what uh, Dave Coulter and Dave Woodward do going forward. Uh, I, I think there, there's just a lot of potential for good when you have a county commission that's, um, that's you, you know, they, again, they share our values. They share the democratic values and you know, they're, they're going to do a lot of good. Yeah, I, I've seen some things, uh, some rulings that have come down since Dave Coulter's been in office. Uh, things like providing supplemental funding to Planned Parenthood when the Trump administration decided they were going to cut some of that. Um, and then doing things like uh, expanding environmental initiatives. You talked a little bit about being climate conscious and things like that in terms of the city level. But I, I feel like there's, I've, I've seen some some efforts by the county commission as well to kind of make that a priority. And I expect, you know, if we maintain a, a democratic county commission in Oakland County, that that will continue to be one of their endeavors. But then also I know Dave Coulter specifically is, is super gung ho about being collaborative with neighboring counties. Brooks Patterson was all about me, 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 we're the wealthiest county in the state. So we, um, we don't have to help anybody else. Whereas Dave Coulter seems more uh, thinking to be more thinking about the bigger picture and how can we collaborate with Wayne County? How can we collaborate with, uh, you know, they've tried as far as Macomb County, how can we collaborate with Washtenaw and get mass transit so that people can, can really be integrated in this community? Because if you look kind of nationwide, young professionals are moving to areas that have well-developed mass transit areas that have lots of resources and amenities and, and ways to travel. Um, and, and he sees that as important for our county. And so that seems, that seems to be one of the top things that I think of when I think about our county commission and kind of the role that they're playing. Yeah, they're, they're going to be really important in the drive to get a, finally get a regional transit system. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident they're going to pull it off too. You know, and, and another huge area where they're going to have an effect. And I'm, I'm guessing people your age are going to be the next explosion of, of the union movement in this country. I, I, I suspect 
that your, your generation is going to revive, uh, it's going to be similar to the CIO organizing drives of the 1930s. And having people in positions of power who support that is going to make an enormous difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, I guess the last thing that really stands out too is all with everything that's been going on with COVID, I know uh, the, the, or the county commission rather has been very involved with uh, approving funding to help small businesses get through, uh, to provide resources for like personal protective equipment that businesses need in order to um, maintain the, the, the safe distances and the, you know, the sanitation, sanitation procedures and the masks and all of that. So um, they and not just that, they've also, I mean, again, imagine if the Republicans controlled the Oakland County Commission during this pandemic, we'd be hearing things about how masks don't do any good and, you know, you're overreacting and blah, blah, blah. Instead, we've had very clear statements from the county commission. If you want to keep your business open, fine. Here's the rules you have to follow. And businesses are following those rules. I mean, they're, they're not fighting against his leadership, but he's shown leadership and, and it's made an enormous difference. I know if you go into, you know, most places of business that you go into, you have to get your temperature checked, you know, and it's just little things like that. You have to wear a mask, all those other rules that you can see in parts of the country where they don't have any leadership at the county or state level. And that it's just been disastrous states like Florida and some of the other states where the epidemic is, is running rampant right now. But ha having leaders who understand science and who have genuine concern for helping masses of people avoid getting this dread disease. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a real advantage and, you know, it's, it's a real quality of life issue for all of us. And I'm, I'm really glad we got, you know, the people in office that we have in Oakland County. Yeah, same. It's, it's always been great to hear updates from, you know, Dave Woodward has given updates about what the county is doing on, on that front. And it, it always makes me feel a little bit more safe, especially as compared to what's going on on the national landscape. Um, and, you know, as we kind of, as we're talking about that, um, how, how do you see some of our local elected officials and our local politics kind of influencing the higher levels of, of political engagement? When you think about the st state level, state politics, federal politics, how, how do you see local politics kind of interfacing with that bigger picture? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the these city commission and school board seats, a lot of time, that's, you know, that's the farm team. That's the bench, you know, when, when higher offices open up, a lot of times the people who fill those offices come from school boards and city commissions. So that's, you know, that's one way it's important. You know, and, and the other way is when higher level elected officials want to, you know, visit with the grassroots, a lot of times they'll do that through clubs like ours. Like we've had uh, Senator Stabenow, Senator Peters, Governor Whitmer, um, and very, you know, and then of course our local elected officials, state representatives and state senators, they've all, they're all friends of the club. They've all been to our meetings and, and had two-way conversations. And sometimes they're pretty rough. Sometimes they come to one of our meetings and people, you know, criticize them for things they haven't done or things they haven't paid enough attention to. So it's not always a, a pleasure cruise for them, you know. But that's good, you know. That's democracy. But right, that, that's, that's a that's a role our clubs can hope. play. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it's it's that's been one of the coolest parts for me since getting involved was actually meeting uh, our state senator and our state representative, and you know even being able to meet people like um, Attorney General David, Dana Nessel and having um, you know people that are taking the time to actually come and meet people, answer questions, talk with people. It really does help to make make at least it makes me feel more connected to what's going on and less like these people get my vote and then I never hear from them and it's all out of my control. Kind of seems to bring some of that home, uh, yeah, which Dana, I've, I've found important. Yeah, Dana Nessel, Jocelyn Benson, both of them friends of the club as well. Man, it's, you yeah, having a club like that, an active club, you know, politicians like to come by and press the flesh with voters, get a sense of uh, people's attitudes. And, you know, we can provide a real service by, just by being organized enough and having enough critical mass that um, it's worthwhile for an elected official to come by and shake some hands, at least pre-pandemic shake some hands. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously in Royal Oak, we our, our local club, the Greater Royal Oak Democratic Club works kind of with Royal Oak and Clawson. And we have some members that come from, you know, Berkeley and some neighboring communities as well. Um, for listeners who might live in other areas of the state or potentially in other states, because I have some, some friends who will probably listen to this who live in other states, what are some just kind of general ways that people can get a little bit more involved and inform themselves more about their local politicians, their local elected officials, and um, you know, get, really get involved and informed? Yeah, I, I mean, we're fortunate here in Royal Oak, we've got an active club and a lot of people, elected officials are members and they give regular reports. And that's, you know, people like to have contact with people with political power, you know, and it's, you know, we, we can provide a service for that. If you live in an area where you don't have a strong, you know, grassroots democratic organization, it's going to be difficult to get the attention of, of elected officials. You could try going to their, I mean, some, some elected officials have keep regular coffee hours or, or whatnot. That, that that would be a good way to, to talk to them. Um, but really the best way to speak to any elected official is, is a, as the member of a group. So you get their attention and you can, uh, you know, bring things to their attention that they're, they're maybe not paying uh, enough attention to. But there's no substitute for, for being organized. Yeah, That's so politics or in labor. Yeah. So maybe looking to see if there are any organized groups first in their particular area, which is how I came across our club. But then also looking, you know, looking up their elected politicians, see who they are, um, seeing if they have social media pages that you can follow and and get more information from them that way. Um, finding out, like you said, if they have office hours, even if they're virtually, where you can connect with them and ask questions and start to kind of get to know where they actually stand on some of the issues. And then maybe even forming your own club, getting together people who are like-minded, who live in the area that you live. And even if it's just a very small group to start, uh, trying to get, get people organized in some way so that you can have a collective voice, definitely seems like an, a good option. And then yeah, even they always start small, no question. And then other options too, if, if you're in a union, you know, you get, get involved through your union. There's a lot of different uh, grassroots group, groups out there that might be active around you, like uh, Indivisibles, probably, probably the best one, or Planned Parenthood, or some of the abortion rights groups, or groups for uh, LGBT rights, um, Black Lives Matter, 
uh, there's there's just a there's a bunch of different ways there's a bunch of different on ramps and they're all good yeah yeah absolutely and then even for people who maybe live in Michigan but are not in the Royal Oak area I mean we're posting stuff on our Facebook page about different events of interest different town hall meetings with uh, senators with the governor with um, different you know candidates running for office and things like that so uh, people can always, you know, seek out even nearby clubs and try and start getting involved in, in some way, because sometimes there, there might even have been a previous club that kind of fell apart that could uh, be revived as well. So, or even just other, other outlet of information if you're tagging on to what places nearby you are doing as well. Yeah, and I should mention if, if anybody listening to this wants some help getting a local club organized, feel free to contact me. I'll just give my phone number, uh, 248-291-9054. They're not easy to get going, but anybody who's got, um, you know, who's even got a smattering of brains and ambition can get a club together. It, it doesn't take any kind of organizing genius. There are a few things you'll need to do well, but I, I can tell you those things. Yeah, and, and even, you know, outside of Michigan, there's also probably because I know we work through like the Michigan Democratic Party. And I would imagine there's a state Democratic Party in any state that you're in who might have some resources and be able to make some connections as well. So yep. that's, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I just thought about that. That's another great resource to get involved, um, you know, and find some local groups that might be affiliated or that they know of um, that are local as well. But thank you for offering that up as well. Um, I know you have quite a bit of experience all the way back to community organizing, all the way up through chairing the club that, uh, that we're in right now. So um, just kind of in summary, if you, if you know, there's probably a lot of young listeners uh, that, are, that are joining me for this podcast, haven't maybe had an opportunity to get involved. Um, it can be quite overwhelming just knowing, you know, all the different levels and layers that are, that are integrated uh, in when you talk about the, the overarching political term or politics. Um, what, what one or two just pieces of advice or takeaways would you like young people to know uh, kind of as we move forward? Yeah, boy, I'm, I have a hard time giving your generation advice because you, yours is a generation that has really good instincts. There's something about the millennial generation. I know people who study this historically compare your generation a lot to the generation that uh, fought the Great Depression and, and World War II, but they, they were just a, a community-minded generation. You know, they, they understood that it was going to take people organizing and pulling together and pursuing, you know, goals collectively. And uh, I, I think your generation has already got that figured out. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of uh, activism in, in, in people your age and the obvious need for us to pull together and fight against, you know, people of great wealth and power and people who are, you know, quite willing to destroy the environment if it means higher profit margins. And your generation already knows these people are dangerous and we need to get them out of power. And to do that, we have to be involved politically. And there's, um, I think you guys have already got that figured out. It's just a, it's, it's just shoe leather and a, and heart and ambition right now. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, I, uh, I've definitely gotten a lot, a lot more passionate since joining the club. 
Um, I do also hope to do an episode eventually, uh, kind of uh, how to be an activist, because I think getting started and finding the right tools and things that work for you can be a challenge to get started, but we will definitely cover that in an episode as well to, to give people those tools. So, well, thank you very much for your time, Tom. It was a pleasure, pleasure talking with you and hopefully we'll, we'll touch base again for another episode some, at some point down the line. Yeah, I'd like that. Thanks, Ian. Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. I appreciate it. Hopefully everyone learned a little something about how they can uh, get a little bit more involved and why local politics are so crucially important. One of my favorite phrases I just actually heard this week was, the further down the ballot you go, the closer to home the impact. So when you think about those local races, they really do matter. And so doing your research and getting involved doesn't have to come just in a, you know, right, right before the election when everyone's overwhelmed. Keep an eye on it. Learn about your current officials over the next, you know, few years or the next year, depending on your district, you might have another election next November. So keep that in mind and just, you know, do your research and, and pay attention. This episode is going to be released on the eve of the election. So there's going to be a lot of things on your mind, likely. Just recognize that the election results will take some time. Uh, there's a, a small likelihood, or I, I guess I shouldn't say it's small, but there is a likelihood that certain key states like Texas or Florida or Georgia might go for Biden, which if they do, you can be a little bit more assured that it's probably going to fall in, in Biden's favor. But don't take that for granted recognize that there may be some states that we're going to have to wait some time in order to get all their results. I'm working the polls all day on Tuesday, and I fully expect to be there late, helping to tabulate absentee ballots that come in late and helping to, you know, helping any voters that are there last minute. But I will be coming home and watching the results just like all of you. So just have patience and, and recognize that we got to make sure every vote counts. So that's the most important. After this election, no matter what happens, uh, take a break, take some space, get your mental health in check and, and make sure that you're doing what you need to do, but recognize that there is going to be more work to do in order to repair where we're kind of at in terms of what, what Trumpism and that, that kind of wave of energy has done with our country. But also beyond that, it's not just about getting back to normal. It's about pushing us forward. Because what we were before Trump was still significantly flawed, and we have a lot to do, and I'm ready to stand up and fight for that. And I hope that you are as well. We will have our next episode after the election, of course, and that will be with our vice chair for the Greater Royal Oak Democratic Club, Lauren Jasinski. Uh, we're going to talk about election results at the local level, state level, and federal level, and the implications that those results are going to have in terms of what we need to do next, what we can expect moving forward, and, and things of that nature. If you have questions or comments for me, please email me at mittenpolitics at gmail.com. No spaces or anything. I also have an Instagram account that I'd love if you'd follow and share. It's at mitten underscore politics, which is the same for the Twitter account I have as well. And then there's also a Facebook page at Mitten Politics with no space or underscore anything like that. 
I really appreciate any anyone you can share this with who you think might enjoy this. I plan, I have a huge schedule of, of interviews that I'm really excited about, and we're going to cover a lot of really awesome topics. So I hope you'll join me on this journey, and I will sign off with that.